You're tuned into the Ox Sober Recovery Podcast. My name is AJ. I'm not an addiction counselor, specialist, or professional. On this podcast, you'll hear discussion regarding 12-step recovery programs and how they have impacted our lives. However, the podcast is not a promotion or an endorsement of any 12-step fellowship as a whole. The opinions shared on this show are those of the individual speaker. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction and needs help, call Recovery Centers of America, 1-855-487-9626. The email is recoverycentersofamerica.com. There you will find detox, inpatient, and outpatient services in Danvers, Westminster, Mass., Maryland, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey. Another recovery option is Banyan Treatment Center, started by pro skateboarder Brendan Novak. Locations are Pennsylvania, Chicago, four locations in Florida, and one in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Also, help with addiction can be found at Foundations Recovery Network at 1-877-714-1318. October Recovery Podcast, Episode 12. All right, we are recording live. I'm here with my friend Chris. My first meeting. you but i heard you um you i heard jan i heard all you know everybody and i look back now and that's why i was there to hear like that i'm not alone that i'm not unique that other people are friggin struggling with what i have i didn't know what i had and uh i remember distinctly though you talking about your daughters, and it was like chaos in the house, and I could identify, and um, I think you may have mentioned, you know, about having just a little bit of peace, you know, and uh, and we were talking actually about, you know, that peace that we have, even though that there is chaos in our lives now, that we can have a little bit of peace um, through it, you know. So Chris is here. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Coming off of a night shift. Mm-hmm. And so I do appreciate it. I love to have um, my friends come in and share. You know, we share about what we've learned, what we what we do. And um, are you still with your daughters in the house? Do they, no. Are they still around? No. I've uh, been divorced about four years now. Okay. How old, how old are those girls now? Um, my Caitlin, who is 31. Yeah. And she's got a little boy, Angelo, and she's got a new baby due on July 10th, which is kind of funny because it's the day after my 10-year anniversary in AA. Yeah, my sobriety date is July 9th, 2009, so I'll be 10 years sober, God willing. Chris, time wow. And yeah. that's a lot of work that goes yeah. into that. Yeah, and my Shannon, um, actually yesterday was her 27th birthday. Yeah. And unfortunately, that child does not speak with me, you know, because of the divorce and all the chaos in her life. You yes. You know, the wreckage of the past, some of the wreckage. Yes. And, um, you know, but I ask God every day to just keep her keep her well, you know, and know. Um, keep her productive and move on. You yeah. Know? So July 10th, 2008? No, July 9th, 2009. What was that day like? Uh, well, it wasn't the day, um, specifically, um, it was the stuff that led up to, um, it was like three weeks before that. Yep. And, um, one of my best friends at work, I had, I had gone away with her for the weekend and, um, actually it started Memorial Day weekend to tell you the truth. And, um, I went to... I went to um, Maine with her, and I had been going 
with her to Maine, taking off for the weekends and stuff. And my family was very happy to let me go because <laughs> I was just drinking all the time when I was home. So when I wasn't working, I was drinking. Yep. And that meant all bets were off and, you know, I'm not going to be doing well at home. So they were glad that she would whisk me away to take her, take me up to her house in Maine. And um, what would what would a day? Because this is so interesting, and this is what I love about doing this little project. Is if you were on the podium right now and I was listening, I couldn't ask this question, but I can now, and you don't have to answer it. What would it? So you say you would drink all day. So what? And you you'd be like your 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 family would say. Okay, Chris, please go away now. What would that day be like? Like, what would the chaos be? Would it would it be you yelling out of control? What? Well, basically, it would be me coming home from work early in the morning. Yeah, getting the girls off to work, um, school, him off to work if he went to work. That was another bone of contention. Mm. And then I would say, "I'm um, okay." Stop my day, head right to the liquor store. In the morning because you're working a night shift. Right, I'm coming off a night shift, and you know, unfortunately. This disease, you know, it settles in your mind. And, you know, even when you're not drinking, you're thinking you drink. You're thinking of, the okay, that relief is coming so quickly. And, you know, I would sit in front of the liquor store at 8 o'clock in the morning. And before that, the minute the guy came to the door, unlocked that door, the the ease came in. Because I knew it was close. I knew I was going to be okay. And little did I know that, you know, this now, I was in the throes of my, you know, alcoholism. Didn't know it. You know, I'm not um, an educated person like anybody else. And, you know, in the fellowship we hear, you know, you can come from Yale or jail and it doesn't matter. And um, basically, I would go off on these weekends with my friend Paula and um, she is not an alcoholic, but she knows alcoholism because she has alcoholism in the family. She had a brother who was in recovery. And I went up to Maine and had my, you know, overnight bag and... Inside the overnight bag was some little of those four packs of wine, you know, the little bottles. Of course. Because that was my to-go to drink by the time I was at in the throes of this. Yep. And, um, and her, they're easy to hide. Yeah, exactly, in an overnight bag. And her little dog, Rory, used to, you know, I loved Rory. We were best friends. And I had gone, I don't know where I had gone. I think I had gone out. It was like a Sunday morning. I had gone out in Maine. They have booze in the grocery store, so... Chris always volunteered to go get the paper and, you know, breakfast or whatever and could pick my wine up for the day. You know, even though we had it in the house, I, it was readily available. I ha always had to have that reassurance somewhere. Um, at home, it was either in the cellar where I was doing, you know, I was always doing something. Like I was going to the grocery store, but I'd come home without groceries. Or I'd go to the bank and, you know, never right. went to the bank. It was always about the booze. It was in oh. the back of the car. It was in the laundry. It was in my ex-husband's oh. coat pockets, you know, down the cellar. You know, it was it was always somewhere. Oh, the work. The work. It was a lot of work. Hiding and, it. Yep, hiding it. And when I got sober. If, you can, if somebody out there is listening right now and they're hiding booze. You're out of control. You're out of control. You know what they Flat say? out. Straight up, right here, right. we're telling you the truth. The I mean, that's our they opinion. They tell you if if you're you're hiding your booze and you're trying to control it, you're out of control. Where do they tell you that? In the fellowship of AA. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it it was a lifesaver. And anyways, um, Paula, you know, confronted me. The dog came out with one of these empty bottles, and it was like she confronted me, and and it was like, oh, it was because of him and the kids, and it was. You know, excuses, excuses. And, you know, that was probably the first time anyone had confronted me to the point outside my uh, family at home with my two kids and my ex-husband. And because um, they he was always saying, your mother's drinking, you know, you know, pointing the finger all the time. But at the same token, <clears throat> I was in a lot of pain because I was in a relationship I shouldn't have been in, you know, and now I had two kids. And what was I going to do? And. You know, the all the woulda, shoulda, coulda stop. You know, every day I should get out of this. I should do this. I should do that. And it just, you know, it's it's becomes a way of life, basically. And you try to numb the feelings. and It's like survival mode. Right. It's basically that's what I was doing, survival mode. And looking back on it, it's just... I was I mean, working alcoholically. I was, you know, I was always trying to make up for something else that wasn't there. 
And, um, you know, so she confronts me and little did I know that my ex-husband and my kids were talking to her because now I was really out of control. This is like a month, two months before okay. I got sober. And so after that, she gets all the AA paraphernalia. She gets online. She show, takes me to my first meeting in Wilmington, Massachusetts. And I met my now sponsor there, George um, you know, Barbara, all these people in AA who George just kind of surrounded me and yeah. told me I would be okay mm. because the minute I raised my hand and I said I was an alcoholic, I cried for the next two years. Yep. Hands down. Every time I opened my mouth, I started crying. Yep. And it was because I didn't have to be afraid anymore. Right. You know, it like the jig was up. I, I, it was relief, you know, because I didn't want to be doing this anyways. I had no pleasure in drinking whatsoever and the funny part was when i was with paula in maine or down the cape wherever we were i did not drink alcoholically i could have a glass of wine but at home i had to drink mm -hmm. because i had to numb the, all those feelings i was having that i was a bad person that i should be doing better this should be happening my kids weren't doing it it was drinking over life you yeah, know and yeah. um basically you know um it was to numb all the feelings that I had. Because sure. no, if I let them out, I was just going to be told, you're no good, you're drinking, what do you mean? You know, all the stuff that we tell ourselves anyways. Yeah. And, you know, no one can hurt us any more than we've already hurt ourselves. You know, we hear that in, in the fellowship. And um, so took me to my first AA meeting, started going to meetings with her, and then I said I would go on my own. But in those three or four weeks, I would go to a meeting and then I would drink in the oh, afternoon. Yep. You know, the usual bouncing in and out. And, um, you know, I started really going full time to AA and I started going to a women's meeting in Burlington, which was fabulous because I met my first sponsor there. And she told her she was having her second year anniversary and she told my story only that it could get worse. Yes. She had OUIs. She got arrested in her driveway in front of her two boys. You know, she had two boys the same age as my two girls. And she was just going on and on. And I was horrified. And I said, I'm, I'm never going there. And I, vi I remember saying that to myself, you cannot do this. Wow. So that's when I asked her for help. She says, what are you willing to do? And I said, anything. And that day we called uh, Hampstead Hospital. And, of course, it was close to 4th of July now. They, the beds were all full. So they said, call back in two days, but don't stop drinking. And I knew that. Being oh, right. in the medical so profession, I knew I would have a seizure if I stopped abruptly drinking. Isn't because that that's wild? What that's an important point. Yeah, that's what happens. I didn't know that. I stopped drinking. I yeah. didn't have seizures. I yeah. mean, crazy. Like, I guess I lucked out. Yeah. What made me, my body isn't just made up that way but i i didn't have a seizure because i knew enough to keep at least something in my system no i know that's what i'm saying like you know. i stopped abruptly yeah and, and it's so weird to learn that the professional would actually say to a person who's seeking help don't stop yet drinking. Right. but they do it for a reason and you're you're a you're a medical professional so just give a quick reason why they say that because i think this is interesting well, because you stop drinking, you, you're detoxing, mm -hmm. and you're not thinking properly, and mm. then what do you do? Mm. You know, you're not going to the rehab yet, and and they want you kind of in a in a mocha state so that when you get there, now they can, you know, they take your belts away, they take your shoelaces away, they take everything away. They put you on a 24-hour watch to make sure that you're okay. Then they start giving you Librium or whatever they give you now. You know, mm. back then it mm. was Librium. Mm. Just so that it would wean you off because mm. you can't have those very high blood levels of alcohol and just it drops like a rock and it, and your whole body goes in, will have a seizure. Your brain just freaks out. It's crazy. Like so, that's... you know, because, you know, my my now husband, Kevin, he had a medical, he had a seizure. He was in a coma for six days oh. due to weaning himself off alcohol. Oh, okay. Yeah, And most of the time, by the time I got to AA, and I went to rehab, I had alcohol poisoning because it was affecting my brain. And and then that leads, if you don't stop, it leads to wet brain. And then you, there's probably no nobody that I know of that has had a wet brain has been reversed. Is wet brain a slang term or is this a medical term? No, it's a medical term for, for alcoholics who have 
gone beyond the point of recovering their brain when the and, brain is wet. So one it's who, mocus, it's just one, one who has wet brain just is like in a daze for the rest of his life, her yeah. life. The they old, can't recover. Not usually. Wow. Um, that you used to see wet brain people years ago, like you know people who were the under the bridge with yes. a paper bag. They drank twenty four hours a day. You're just drinking and you're not getting any nourishment. So it's, the nourishment is what keeps your brain alive. It's major debilitation. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is what if you, it's so, okay, so we got there. I learned uh, coming in, um, I had to Google this stuff. I didn't know what the hell was going on. People would talk about progressive disease, and I was like, what is this? I Googled it. It says, your body will do one of three things. You'll have uh, major organ shutdown, right. severe disability, which right. we just talked about, wet brain, right. or death. So you met... These women, you're in, a, you're in AA. I want to go there, but I want to just backtrack a little bit because you talked about how you were emotional for the first two years. Yeah. Were you a crier before then? Oh, or, always. Oh, you were? Okay. Oh, yeah. From the day I was born. Tell, I, tell me about that. Tell me just quick. Where'd you, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Well, I grew up in Medford. <laughs> okay. Um, my dad was a police officer. My oh. mother stayed at home. And then I had a maternal grandmother that lived with us. Oh, I wow. was the oldest of three children. I have two younger brothers. And basically, I cried to get what I wanted or to push people away. And if I didn't get what I wanted, I would, you know, cry. and Manipulate, uh, like yeah, you said. Yeah, manipulate. Yes. And I didn't really realize that's what I was doing. No. But I was allowed to do this because I could get whatever I wanted. I, I was my dad's little princess. And not so much that I would get things from him, but when he was around, I was right. I was glued to his leg. My Both my parents are adult children of alcoholics. My dad's, both his parents were alcoholics. Mm. My mother's father was an alcoholic. Mm. Although they were all functioning alcoholics like I was. I was not, you know, I functioned. I had a high level of functioning. Same. I had two lives. I had my work life that I functioned at and I had to be perfect and I had to control my environment because I'm a nurse. Yeah. And at home, so I thought that's what I had to do. And people, places, and things weren't doing what I wanted them to do. Towards the end of my drinking. Isn't it wild that we can be um, so under the control of alcohol mm -hmm. and alcohol, like you said, you hear it, alcohol calls every single shot in your life, but yet we can go to work and and not put it in our system. Like we can compartmentalize it right, where, right. where like, okay, I'm going to work. I'm not, boo like I've never boozed on my job. I'm a driver. Right. And I never drank once while driving. Right. But it's just, it's it's like we do that. Well, it's... it's. But then there are other people who don't. So ev I right. mean, everybody's different. Well, I find for me, I was, I know I was born an alcoholic because I had all that fear, doubt, and insecurity my whole entire life. And my mother, who was in my life from the day I was born till even now, she was also a raging adult child. She had fear, doubt, and insecurity her whole entire life and still does to this day. Is that from, did you have, uh, but your your house wasn't unstable. Your house didn't cause you to be fearful, did it? No, but my dad was always working, so he wasn't in my life as much as my mother. I was my, I was the only daughter, and my mother was so fearful that someone or something would hurt me that I was always within arm's reach of my mother. Oh, I was always she, there. Yeah, I was like, un, okay. Unless I was in school, I was right. You know, Un I was reasonable fears of your mother, who was an adult, would be like just unreasonably fearful and just wouldn't let you go out. And, and you know, um, there's a lot of the Irish guilt going on, too. You know, very faithful parents. I mean, they went to church every Sunday. They believe in God. They still do. I mean, they're, they're wonderful people. Sure. My mother was fearful of life. And she ingrained that into me, even though it was already there. So it just reinforced everything that I thought of the world right i didn't have life lessons i didn't have little life lessons a little bit at a time like you know children are supposed to you know like i said to, i was talking to my husband kevin i said animals push their young out of the nest for a reason they have to learn life lessons right they have to learn how to feed themselves they have to learn how to protect themselves i knew nothing about that my mother did everything for me my father provided for us i never wanted for anything I, I mean, I wanted the world, but I had everything. You know, I I didn't like who I was. 
I always wanted to look like someone else or be someone else or be somewhere else. Mm. Didn't like any of it. Was like people say, I was a round peg in a square hole. Just didn't fit. And I was restless, irritable, and discontent. From the beginning. From the beginning. Like my father said, I went from sitting on the ground as an infant to running down the stairs. Like I did, I went from zero to a hundred, you know, so and that's, that's how my personality. Per- yeah. So did, did you, do you remember the, like the first, you know, I hear people say, so I found the first drink and it took that discontent away. Is that something that's part of your story? I know that God and my mother kept me from a lot of heartache in my life because I wasn't allowed to drink. There was no booze in my mother's house. I mean, there was, but it was locked up in a cabinet. My parents don't drink. If my father had something to drink once a year, it would be a lot. And if people came, they had something to drink, and then they went home. There was no big deal. But when my mother became uncomfortable with people drinking too much or starting to get loud or rowdy, it was everybody's going home. She would turn it completely off. And it was because of her childhood. parents. My my grandfather wasn't an abusive man, but you never knew what you were going to get when he came home. Because the booze was controlling him. Right. He was out of control. So... My grandmother used to take my mother to the movies at the age of 10. And back in those days, the movies, you'd get home at midnight. And he'd be asleep or passed out in the chair. Wow. And my mother would go to Catholic school in the morning, and the nuns would say, Lois, why are you so tired? And she goes, oh, I didn't sleep well last night, making excuses. You For know? her dad, yeah. But that's that's what people did. You didn't talk about alcoholism no. back in the day. This is back in 1930s, almost early 40s. You just didn't talk about it. And, and, and um. No hope to get any better. Nobody knew. Nobody knew what, what it was there was like a disease. It was just like anything else in the day. Back in the day, mental illness. You didn't talk about right. that either. If you had somebody mental, mentally ill in the family, oh, we don't talk about that because that was a it put a bad mark on the family. All the um, how do you say it? Um, all the fallacies. You know the the stuff that was passed down from generation to generation. Fallacies, right? You know? Incorrect information. Right. Right. Because no one could ask the question why nobody talked about it and now it's it's out which is oh, great yeah. like this Very is what we're out. doing my children know i'm an alcoholic they live through it they they live through uh, you know my ex-husband's a, uh, a raging um adult child of an alcoholic i knew this from the day i met him and i was gonna fix it mm. you know i'm yeah. i'm a fixer I'm, yeah. I'm gonna take care of everybody else but myself and that's what i lost in all my drinking was me yeah i lost me yeah. Because I was someone's mother, I was someone's wife, I was someone's taxi driver, I was, you know, the cookie mother at school. You know, I worked the night shift so nobody knew I worked because I was at work when they went to bed and I was home when they got up. So, you know, I didn't work. How do you find your real self when you got six different masks on like that? You oh, don't. I didn't. You I can't. didn't at all. It was just a whole yeah, yeah, facade. Yeah, you know? I know. I, know. I had, was living two lives. Just one one thing about the mental illness, you know, we talked about, and um, it is, I'm so grateful that we can talk about that today. I mean, right. it's an illness. I'm a child of of it, mental illness, yeah. and um, I have experience with it, and it's a thing. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, if you have diabetes, you have diabetes. Right. If you have uh, imbalance in your brain, right. you can't do anything about it. That's your Absolutely. physical makeup. That's your physiology. The the problem is with that is when you don't speak about it and you live alone with it. Right. So um, this is, I just like to say that because alcoholism, addiction, I think, and, and mental illness are right there next it's to true. each other in the tree of diseases. Yeah. I'm I not mean, a medical person, but like that's I've said, how I you know, see it. Um, three children come from the same parents and you have three different people. I have a younger, younger brother who's very smart. He's an engineer. He doesn't drink alcoholically. He's not an alcoholic. The middle brother is one of us, but will not mm. deal with it. Damn it. And there is a, a hint of mental illness there uh. as well. You know, and I, it, he and I are like oil and water. We do not get along. Never have. And I think it's because of our personalities. We're alcoholics and we just we just don't get along. Yep. Because we try to outdo each other. Yeah. And now that I'm sober and have, you know, some length of sobriety, he does not like me even more. Yeah. Because now he's confronted with the fact that he's got a, I, basically what I've said to his wife, who admits that, yes, he is an alcoholic and not in recovery. He's a dry drunk, basically. He doesn't like you because he's, 
he knows that you're in recovery and you're not putting up with his bad behavior. Right. He said, absolutely. Yeah, the truth. You're telling him the truth. That's the biggest thing about getting sober is I don't have to put up with anyone's bad behavior, including my husband, my parents, or anyone, even my children. And I suspect, Chris, this is because you tell yourself the truth, therefore you can tell others the truth. Well, a lot of people don't want to hear the truth. And the minute you say no... It's a that's a whole statement itself. You don't have to go into the a litany of why. People who genuinely want to help others mm-hmm. enjoy telling the truth and having people disagree with them. That's how those people are going to learn the truth. Well, for me, uh, the truth is out and and that's it that's is it. what it is. It is and what it is. I want to get there. So, you got to the truth. You you're in a good spot. We were just talking to your brother, but how did we get there? So you I want to kind of make it a little chronologically, you know, we'll tell this story a little bit chronologically. But so we left off before we backtracked. You were in that meeting. You found that sponsor. Mm -hmm. She told you a story, which, wow, what a blessing, because you could identify right away and be like, I am going to get that OUI. I am going to have police knocking at my door. Like, that's not, but you know, that's that's incredible. And how lucky are you? Well, my my now sponsor, who's. 42 years, 43 years sober and been in Al-Anon as well, 43 years. Is it George? No, no. Oh. Nancy. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, um, she she drank the way I drank, you know, because once I got beyond my first year, it was great that I identified with another nurse, and, you know, I think that's how God got me to stay. Did you tell me she was a nurse? I missed that. Yeah. Okay, sorry. That's okay. So she's perfect. Yeah, so I identified right away. Awesome. And... Then once I got a year sober, I was like, I need more than just putting the drink down because I I did it. I I put the drink down. I never thought again. Once I came out of rehab, that was the last thought I ever had of having another drink because God kept giving me God shots of this can happen to you. You know, these are the yets that are waiting outside just waiting for you to pick up one drink, you know, and at work every night I see the wreckage of this disease hands down in my face. Are you in the emergency room? In the operating room. Okay. So I see, you know, we liver transplants, all the, the stabbings and the gunshot wounds and all the stuff that come along with this disease. It, but it's not reported that way. Right. I say um, people are dying from addiction mm-hmm. and alcoholism, right. and it's not being reported. It's not reported when somebody drives into a, a, a bridge abutment. It's not reported when somebody gets stabbed. It's not reported when somebody freezes to death right. that they were alcoholic. Well, actually, now they're starting, you know, a lot of families are now putting in their obituaries, you know. When Which you, I love. You used to see suddenly. suddenly or by accident. Right. And right away. You know. Just, we know. Just we know. Because we've seen it, or I've dealt with it at work. That takes so much courage for a family member to write that. It does. And that is so helpful. To other families. It is so helpful to other families. If anybody is listening right now and is experiencing that, I I, I hope I don't ever have to experience that. But when I read in the obituary, if I read that this person died of a heroin overdose that reinforces me that this is this is a, a major truth. problem. It's, it's happening, right? Um, so I do think that is um, very courageous of the family to do that, and it, it's also wise of them to do that, right? Because it, there's no guessing game. No there's guessing no, games. You know, oh, I wonder what happened. Or, yep, and not that it's anybody's it's business, right, but, but it's, it's out there for you to know mm-hmm. that this is a this is a problem. So you have your sponsor. You're going. You're looking for more after a year, right? So um, I changed sponsors, and I got a woman who was. How did that go? How, um, how does changing sponsors go? Because I don't have experience hard, with that. You know, uh, because it's basically you're you're asking to release them. Mm-hmm. You know that you know that you want to move on. I I realized in my sobriety I needed more, so I I wanted to get through the steps and start. You know, getting all this. Um, start digging start getting rid of some of the wreckage of the past you know cleaning my side of the street up owning up to what i did and to what i needed to own up to not what everyone thought i needed to own up to and did you just it just this woman wasn't leading you there so did you see that somebody else was like right 
twelve step person. I could like a sponsor, twelve step sponsor. Step well, sponsor. plus she she drank at home like I did. My new sponsor, and she had children that were alcoholics. Okay, so you found her. You asked yep. her. You broke up with the other one. And she also was an Al-Anon, and that really. She started saying that it would be good if you started going to Al-Anon to understand how the other, they call it the other side, thinks about us. I agree. it opens your eyes to how they're thinking. Because we have the hand-to-mouth thing. We have the drinking pot. They don't have anything. They have the wreckage. They they have the The shrapnel. the, The crazy thinking. And it's all up. And we all have crazy thinking, but we have at least hand-to-mouth. We have a physical representation of what alcoholism is. They don't. They have us as a qualifier, but they they don't know why they act the way they act. And they blame right. us, but really it's their own personalities that, you know, they're trying to fix us. They're trying to fix, they're trying to control. They have control issues as well as right, we do. Right, right. You so know, confusing, right? It is very confusing. And, you know, I said to my girls, I sat my girls down at, when I was still at home, and um, I said, you know, you two have to be very careful. I said, you have alcoholism on all four quadrants of this family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, me. I said, you, you, you've you, got to be very careful because I said, I didn't start drinking till alcoholically, I didn't start drinking till I was in my 30s probably. You know, once... I got married at 23, and from 23 to 30, I seemed to be doing okay. I didn't drink alcoholically. I could go to a wedding and not get drunk. But with that said, I remember going to a wedding when they say last call, I would get four drinks. People who drink alcoholically will get more than one drink, and I did that. So right away, there was red flags, as they call it, you know, the stuff that we do and not recognize it yet because we haven't crossed that invisible line. Mm. It hasn't interfered in our life. It hasn't got our thinking. But it's brewing down there. Right. It's stewing. Little by slowly, as my life went on, more and more pressure, financial pressure. Now I have one baby. Then I had four years later, I have another baby. So now at the age of 30, my life is in chaos because the ex-husband has lost his job multiple times. There's issues going on. He's put himself in for, for you know, um, a stint in a, in a hospital, mental illness-wise. You know, all this stuff. And Oof. now I'm becoming the rock, the foundation of this family. And I'm falling apart. It's a heavy load. Because now I'm starting to drink more because people at work say, oh, just go home and have, because I work the night shift, so I couldn't sleep when I got home. Restless, irritable, discontent. Now oh. the mind is going. So now it's, oh, have a glass of wine. Have a glass of wine. Well, I start having glasses you of wine. It's okay. Innocently. They don't know I'm an alcoholic yeah. in the brewing, you know, and yeah. it's boom. That's a, that's an, that's it's so important that people don't know. And I, I wish I could yell it from the rooftops, really, to the my neighborhood, because there's at least one out here. Oh yeah, there's that <laughs> would benefit from hearing you say that. And if just if they could be honest with themselves and look at it and be like, but it's so tough. It, it you know, you're in it. it you're in it. And but, it's, and then it becomes natural. Everybody brings coolers and everybody's drinking. And but I could control it when I was in social settings in the beginning. Yep. Towards the end, you know, people say, "Oh, I hate the holidays." Every day was a holiday for me because I drank every day. It was during the holidays I had to control what I was drinking because I was around family. But they knew. Yeah. Because when I'd go to my brothers at Christmas, and I'd come in my own car, and my family would come in their own car, and I would leave early. Everybody knew I drank and I was over the limit. I drove drunk all the time. Me too. I didn't mean to drive drunk. Same. It just happened. Me too. And I would pick pick a fight with my ex-husband and I'd be gone because yep. I could go home and drink the way I wanted to. There's more of it there. Manipulation. Yeah. Pick a absolutely. fight. You had it. You had the plan. You don't know it. You don't you're you don't it. see it. You're, you're in you you're it. in the fog. You're and you don't have to be there. Like you can be released from I, that. I don't have mess. to do that anymore. You don't yeah. have to. Yeah. So so you you did some you started digging you started doing some work yep. you started doing some work in the big book and you started finding some stuff out I did you know I wrote down all my my um, stuff the stuff yeah. that I was going to take to the grave with me yeah. no one was ever going to know yeah like it wasn't you know I I when I first got into AA I thought oh I don't have a story I don't have an OUI I don't have the drunk driving. I don't have the, you know, the battles. I mean, we have battles at home, but it wasn't like 
The neighbors didn't know. You right. Know, the windows were closed, you know. Um, I had the obscure bruises here and there from being out in the, because I loved to garden, and out in the garage was yeah. the bottle of wine. Oh, yeah. You know, at this, by this time, I got the screw cap stuff. I'm no pulling corks out because it took too much effort. And out in the garage is nice and cold. You don't have to have a refrigerator in the winter. And I'm out there snow blowing or I'm out there. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about crazy. I'm Reasons out in the garden. I trip drink. over the thing and I rake up the whole side of my leg. What happened to you? Oh, I fell over the wall or, you know, craziness. The neighborhood, neighborhood knew I was drunk. I mean, hands down. I mean, here I am, you know, doing crazy crap out in the Boy, the yard. can I identify with that. You know, and every time I went out in the yard, they knew where I was going. I was going to the garage. You right. know, it wasn't So that was your science. stuff. That that was your stuff. You didn't have big, big things. You no, had, I didn't have yeah, big things. Yeah, I didn't, so, you know, because I just didn't. Yeah. God was good to me. He kept Bef- me out of the fray, Same. as they say. I know. So, yeah, so you did that. You That was good that you kind of started working on that a couple well, of years I, I in and you realized I yourself yeah, yeah. i needed a, more really? it just, i just stopped in the drinking it was it was all the stuff in my in my brain that was you was, were receptive you were hearing people you were going to meetings and I listening, listening and you were open-minded right and and my my now sponsor said to me because i would get like what's why are they saying that and why are they saying this and she'd say you're very aware. You have more awareness than other people do at this time in your sobriety. I'm just telling you. So you have to have patience and tolerance. Patience and tolerance. Wow. And then you have to have acceptance. Because that was the biggest thing. When I was drinking, the world was happening to me. It was all about me. You know, don't take yourself so damn seriously. They say this all the time. And it's so de- it's so true. Because... I thought the world was happening to me. Every time I turned around, somebody was at me for something. And sure enough, I had to read in the in the big book, page 417, acceptance. And that once I read that acceptance prayer, and I, she gave me a little booklet, the acceptance prayer, I read that booklet every single day. And I still do. Every morning when I get up, when I'm not working, I read the acceptance, and it was funny because in the beginning of the acceptance book, it says, your environment is only where you are, where your two feet are. Basically, if you're in an airplane, it's the airplane. It's not Afghanistan. It's not Boston. It's not Quincy, Massachusetts. It is the airplane, and that's all you have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And when I started reading that, I was like, Oh, my God, I don't have to worry about anybody else but little old me. Mm-hmm. And I finally started to settle down and say, like she'd say, your daughters aren't doing what you want, but you have to accept it. I'm going to read this to you. You called it. Page 417. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober unless I accept life completely on life's terms. I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitude. You nailed it. Absolutely. It didn't matter what was going on in my life. I can't control people, places, and things, and that's why I drink. I know today that's why I drink. What a what a change, though, a life change to oh, suddenly start to do that. It helps me in my that. workplace. And it takes time. You can't do it right away. Oh I mean... I heard, um, who says it? She says, I stand and I look down at my feet and I draw a circle when I'm hectic. And for five, ten seconds, I just look at my feet in that space Mm -hmm. and I say, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Right. That's it. Yep. And when early on. Easy to say. Right. But it's like anything. You want to build big muscles, you got to practice. Right. You want to run a road race, you got to run two miles before you can run 20 miles. Right. And the women in this program really kind of surrounded me. And I started going to more women's meetings. And Judith, who's a great friend of mine, she'd say, it can be over when you want it to be. In other words, come down off the cross. We need the wood. It's not about you. But it is about you. 
It's about taking care of me these days. You know, I, I have two children, but no matter what they do, I can't control it. They're adults, and the world doesn't care what I think about what my children are doing in their lives. You could be an example, and you're an example for them now. I I hope so. You I think, are. I think so. You are, if, if they're paying attention. I think they are. Okay. Well, the youngest one doesn't speak to me, but that's beside the point. You know, my, my sponsor today, um, Nancy, uh, she was sober thir- almost 40 years, and her daughter hadn't spoken to her in almost 35 years. You know, they're just slowly getting back. Slowly. Slowly getting back into a relationship because the daughter is married. She has a son. You know, life lessons. You know, life teaches you things. And, you know, my daughter will say something to me and I'll say, well, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you what I did and didn't work. So maybe you should try something else. Mm. You know, and I said to her, you know, you don't have to accept unacceptable behavior in your life ever from anyone, including me. So if you don't like something, you tell me, you know, that mom, you know, one day I I said something to her. She goes, well, I didn't ask for your advice. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Good for you. Right. Because I don't want to go there. I don't want to give advice. And what did you say to her? I said, thanks for letting me know. Right. What would you have said 10 years ago? <laughs> what do you mean? I know better than you. I'm your mother, you know. And that's what my mother used to say to me. And even to this day. It was funny because we went down to Florida to bring them home. And she says, she says to my father, she goes, she's being mean to me. Meaning you. Yeah. yeah. Meaning I'm being mean to my mother. Yeah. And I said, I'm not being mean. I'm being truthful. But to her, it's being mean. Like, and she wanted my father to reprimand me. And he just looks and he goes, she's 60 years old. Leave her alone. Yeah. You know? But this is, this is the way. And, and Kevin said to me, no wonder you are the way you are. You know, because you could see the battle going on between us you know yeah and she um she said to me down there i'm your mother and i oh. said i know that she's 87 she's, she's not, not gonna, gonna change no no you know no but she doesn't was, have to at it, this point he's for him it was comical to see the dynamics going back and forth like you know my father said leave her alone you know she's yeah. 60 years old she knows what she's doing you know you mentioned the people in your lives and and, and the women's group and stuff like that and it's like i have yet to hear a person um, say that they're sober and they're well and and you know their well-being is good and that they do it all alone no you can't do it alone that's why we drank because we were trying to run the world on our own mm-hmm. you know back in the day you know um, they used to say you made your bed, now you got to lie in it. Like there was no turning back. That was it. You know, it's that's not the way things it's are. It's not. That's such a good you point. You don't have to do it alone. You don't. Even if you make mistakes. Like my father said, if you never make a mistake, you'll never know if you could have tried, could have done it, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. You got to make mistakes. You got to learn from them. Well, that's life lessons. If Little mistakes. And you got to, you, that's why you have to have people around you. Right. Like this guy, where were we, where were we just now? Yep. I know. Right? This guy. That's something I'm, I never want to have to go through. I no. go, I was at the jail this morning, yep. bailing a guy. I come home, you're in the driveway <laughs> with Kevin. And on the way home, the guy says what to me? I think I have a problem drinking. Hmm. Unbelievable. So I told him. You I don't said, end up in jail if you I don't look, have a We problem looked drinking. at the jail. As we were leaving, yeah. I said, you'd never have to go there again. Right. But now, and that's the craziness of this disease, right? Because in a normal world, what would a person with a brain say? Hell no, I'm not going back to that place. Are you shitting me? Oh, Mock my words. I'm never going to be back there. Yep. Never going to drink again. And Towards the end of my drinking, I used to say, okay, I'm not going to drink today. Mm. Not going to drink today. Mm. And it. Eight o'clock after work, I'd be the car just drove itself to the liquor store. Right. You know, we hear it all the time. We lose control of our own lives. Booze takes the wheel. And it it's so true. Because I was in blackouts many a day. Many a day. And my kids would say, I told you, I told you we had to make cupcakes for the school today. And I'd say, No, you didn't. I obviously was in a blackout. Yeah. Because two little kids are not going to tell me 
they only know what they told me. Right, right. They only know. I'm the one who's drinking, so obviously I have a problem. Yep. But you don't see that. Yeah. You know. So you have a big milestone coming up. Yep. So how do you do, like, how do you, how, is every day nice and rosy and perfect oh God, with no. you? <laughs> God, no, actually. Last week was was pretty rough. It's because I had a, a very good friend, just like the fellow this morning that ended up in jail. Ended up in jail, and you know his life is he knows it pretty much right now is you know gone right down the tubes. Yeah, and it's um, you know his life is really in turmoil, and I feel very badly that mm. I never had to go that route because when I went to rehab. And went to get sober. Work didn't know, didn't doesn't didn't know anything about what was happening because I had a week's vacation. Okay, and I was adamant it had to it had to happen that week. You had to, you wanted to hide it. Yeah, yeah. Well, because back in the day, and even still today, there is still some stigma with this that you can control this disease and you cannot control it. It is getting better daily, though. But yes, but in the medical profession, it is still frowned upon. And and it's That's sad because yeah, but with that said, I have I call my safety net at work other alcoholics that are only known to me and other people in the fellowship. We all go to AA. On We're the all floor, in the fellowship like women that on the- I work with that yeah. I've worked with and didn't know they were in the fellowship. I just knew there was something different. It's a spiritual and thing, isn't exactly, it? It is. It's that connection, and it was funny because one one of my best friends at work. It's not an alcoholic. But she confided in me one day about her sister who was driving her crazy and that she had a drug problem, an alcohol problem years ago. And that her father used to have to go looking for her in Boston at night. Mm. And I thought, oh, God, I've got to talk to her. So I went to her house and we went for a long walk and I confided in her and I told her that I was an AA and blah, blah, blah. And that, you know, it would be good if she could get to Al-Anon or, you know, we could talk. And from that day, it's been a bond at work that if she has a problem, she comes to me. Uh, or if I have something, we talk it out. It's just another ear to be able to release all that, the resentment. Because the more you expect of people and they don't do it, the more you'll get a resentment over it. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're not doing what I want or yeah. they're not listening to me or any of that stuff, you know. Yeah. You know, we were talking about unicorns and cherry pies and it's just not life no. life my friend steve he says the shit fairy comes every every yep. week every day sometimes it doesn't come for a month but he's he'll, he'll show up before you know it. but you can deal with it now it's like one of these signs says life is no longer ups and downs but it is gently rolling hills right which i'm grateful because i've worked on myself god i mean god is you know, I didn't, I didn't, let me put it this way. <laughs> when you don't want to go to that meeting and you go, you're doing the work. Right. You know what I'm saying? Even if you're not showing up for you, you're showing up for someone else. I mean, God got me here because I had no plan to oh, stop drinking. Absolutely. But I mean, I do some work. You know, I buy, I go out and I buy some equipment. I, mm-hmm. I, I talk to people. I go to a meeting when I don't want right. to go to a meeting. And that. Helps my head get right. balanced, and when the shit fairy comes, it's not a major valley. Right, it's, it's a little life, downhill. Life on life's terms, and and yeah. drinking only masks everything that's going on. And you wake up, and it's all there, only worse the next day. Oh, the next morning. Yeah, you want it to go away, and it's there, big I, as life. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I remember like the last week two weeks, three weeks, and we'll, we'll wrap up here in a minute or two. But the last two weeks, three weeks, I would wake up dis- uh, specifically Monday mornings. I don't know if I told this story, but it was February. It was 2010, not 2012. So it was February 2012, and I call in sick on a Monday morning, and the my manager goes, AJ, what the hell? And I'm like, I'm sick. I'm not coming in. He goes, you've called in sick four out of the last six Monday mornings. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't even know it. So I go, I'll be right there. And I drove. I went to work. And that was like a big, big, big sign. Right. Like billboard sign. 
I'm grateful. Like I think about that right now, really. And I'm so glad, like it was demoralizing. Like I thought, I didn't know what I was going to work to. I didn't know if they were going to breathalyze me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what was going on, but, um, I was coherent enough or God put that in me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and explain it, but mm-hmm. that was a sign. Right. I'm grateful for that. Well, there was one time just before I got sober in June when my, my mother's sister passed away and we went to the after party, whatever you call it. And I was there without my ex-husband at the time because we were at odds as we always were. And I was coming out of the, the um, I think it was the Pearl Street in, in Malden. We had the party afterwards and my younger brother was coming in and he obviously knew I had been drinking and he, I rolled the window down and he says, you know what? You either have to get off the booze, no, get rid of the booze and him or both. And that was like, it hit me right between the eyes. Yeah. There was no, he was not mixing any more words. Awesome. This is it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the God shots. Then then my friend confronting me. And then they had a small intervention with my oldest daughter and my ex-husband at her house one day after work. And I don't even remember that. Basically, I remember them sitting there, but it was like all a blank. And then she said, and then I went to the meetings and for after two weeks, I finally found my first sponsor and then went to rehab. And ever since that day, it was like, God said, okay, here's your chance. Let's, let's try to work with this and move, move forward. And you know, it, it happened the way it was supposed to happen. Yep. And for the grace of God that, you know, I, in July, I'll be 10 years sober. But, you know, it's a day at a time, too. That's it. No doubt. Because the first book they gave me in rehab was Living Sober. Yes. Not the big book, but Living Sober. Same. And I needed that. Me, too. I needed to know that I wasn't a bad person. I was sick and I had to get well. I had to take my medicine, go to AA, and just listen to the people who knew the drill, that knew how to do it. I love that you brought that up. This book, if you are listening right now and you think you may have a problem or if you're struggling and big book isn't for you, this book, Living Sober, is like it gives you little tips. I remember reading in there that book taught me to go to a party late and leave early. Or is it the other way to go, you know, get there. Don't spend a lot of time at a party, basically. Right. And Get there early and leave and take your own car. Have it said a plan. that in that book. Have a plan B. That book teaches yeah. you how to live a sober life. Right. And this is this is kind of a good way to wrap it up because I like to say that. That book also taught me that, yeah, it's not about stopping drinking. Right. It's about how do I live a life of sobriety. Right. Because a life of just not drinking could be fucking more ugly than than drinking. You know what I mean? A right. life of just drinking without a sobriety quotient to it right. could be uglier than a life of drinking. Right. So you have to you have to this is what we do. We try to live sober. Right. And it is so good. It's a life second to none and you know, um you just do it a day at a time. Because every day is different and I could feel like crap. It can be overwhelming if you don't. It can be. And and if you don't talk to another alcoholic on a daily basis, and I have a lot of good friends, and I go to a lot of women's meetings, and I, you know, even the guys in AA, they can, they can relate. The feelings is what, what got us to, the, to where we ended up in AA, not the booze is just a symptom of all the crazy thinking and all the, the what ifs, you know. And thinking we're alone, our brains lie to us. This is it's just us. Right. We lie to ourselves, basically. It's such a it's it's a it's a it's a potion. There's a potion in this fellowship where you have these things going on in your head and then you hear somebody say what you were thinking and it make it kinda makes it better. Right. It kinda you like it just confirms that you're not a bad that. person. You're not yes. the only person in the world that thinks this way. Yes. This... You're not alone. Wow. Is that a special thing? Like, it re- it's a secret. I, I, when I, my <laughs> first meeting, I found hope. And in the banner, but for the grace of God, I was like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. You know, like, I'm here for a reason. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, that's, 
just, you know, as people, the women in A say, God doesn't make junk. No, you know? you're not junk. Yeah. I'm not junk. No, no one is. This is great, Chris. I appreciate you coming in. Like I said, like you're one of the first person I ever met. So you'll always be, I mean, you, you know, you're like an AA buddy, even though we don't talk about right. their stuff, but we give each other hugs and stuff like right. that. We all we all have a, an affinity to certain people in certain meetings and yeah it you know if you even like you said if you don't want to go to a meeting you go to a meeting you're like oh thank God I came yeah because you, you get that instant relief you see people that you care about that care about you know it's just it's a great place you know it's one hour of my life every day that I don't have to think about anything. And if you listen and, and you haven't been, you haven't experienced that, what you're talking about, about that feeling, because I know for me when I first went, I didn't get that feeling because I was so scared and I was mm. confused. Keep trying, you yeah. know, and they say keep coming. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but it, but but yes, do, they say that because I, I for me, from my opinion is that you may not get that feeling at the first time, no. but you're in a, you have to know that that is a safe spot it's a for safe you place. and you do need to be there. If you're hiding shit, if you have taken nips and thrown them out, the, if you're an alcoholic, only you can diagnose yourself, but we can tell you these things that you may experience that are symptoms of an alcoholic things that we've things talked that about we've today. been through. Yes. You know, we've been there. So if you can identify, and that's another word, which means if you are sitting there nodding your head listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, I've done that, I've done that, I could see myself doing that, good chance you have a disease and guess what? It's okay. There's a solution. And find somebody who's like you. Like, it, you know, somebody who's in the middle of Kansas right now or I heard, you know, I know Wyoming. I've heard that, like, AA is in fellowships are, like, almost done out there they're struggling you gotta find somehow listen to a podcast read a book when we travel we that's the first thing we do before we leave we get online yeah and we say okay you know we're headed to norway soon and we we have googled where these meetings are going to be and if there's going to be we're going to be taking a cruise are there going to be meetings on the ship if not we can we can start our own meeting Yep. Just put it on the little register thing, and Friends if people show up, they show up. If yeah. they don't, they don't. Yeah. But it only takes the two of us to have a meeting, yeah. so we're good. Smart. You know? Good. Well, I appreciate you coming in, Chris. Thank you, AJ. Thank you so much for coming. Have a good trip. Oh, thank you. You can go see Elsa. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, the little beluga whale <laughs> that's right. supposed to be. All right. Good. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. All right, done. Yeah. Good stuff. Hey.